Hello and welcome to JOSPT Insights, the podcast that aims to help you translate quality research to quality practice. I'm Claire Ardern, the Editor-in-Chief of the Journal of Orthopaedic and Sports Physical Therapy. It's great to have you listening today. Dr. Osman Ahmed is a physio on a mission. He's trying to improve how athletes with concussion receive and experience care after their concussion. Osman works as a physiotherapist for the Football Association in England with their elite para football program. He's also medical and sports science director at the International Federation of Cerebral Palsy Football and the co-lead of the medical unit at the Para Football Foundation. Osman combines his extensive clinical experience in parasport with his PhD research in concussion to help clinicians all over the world approach diagnosing and managing concussion in parasport with confidence. In today's episode, Osman shares the work of the Concussion in Parasport group who are busy developing resources to support parasport athletes and their clinicians and coaches. And you'll find more information on the work of the Concussion in Parasport group in the show notes of today's episode. Osman Ahmed, welcome to the JOSVT Insights podcast. Thanks for having me, Claire. Delighted to be here today. I'm delighted to have you join us. And we're talking a lot about parasport and concussion today. So I've got some really interesting topics. I think coming out of the Tokyo Olympics, as we have in 2021, I think parasport has maybe had a little bit of a higher profile this year than it otherwise does in non-Olympic years, I guess. So what are the major opportunities and the key challenges that you see for team clinicians who are working in parasport? Okay, well, I think a lot of people that are involved in parasport get quite excited in the Paralympic year or double years as it is with the um, delayed Tokyo 20 rolling into 2021. Uh, focus on parasport around this time is really good. Probably one thing to slip in quite early on is that parasport doesn't just wait every four years and explode into the Paralympic Games. There's stuff that goes on every single year. So parasport community, obviously pre-COVID, was really active and there's major tournaments in most sport that are world championships, European championships. Asian, African, Para Pan Am Games, the Deaf Olympics for the Deaf community as well. And I think we are starting to see a bit of a shift in terms of the coverage that these events get as well. I love that you frame the diversity of parasport as well, because I think a lot of people think of parasport and think of the Paralympics, but there's a lot more, a lot more in parasport. And we see this with the tennis, every world tour, there's there's a lot going on in parasport. Absolutely. So obviously the Paralympics covers the games that are actually eligible at the um, event every four years. Lots of different sports that don't make it onto that massive, huge global stage, but still have a global reach, have countries playing the games um, or sports all over the world. Let me move us on to concussion in parasport. And your PhD was in concussion in sport and your PhD was, I think, University of Otago in New Zealand. And you're really heavily involved in the concussion in parasport group. So I'm interested to hear a little bit about what the mandate is for the concussion in parasport group. And then let's talk a little bit about what we know about concussion in parasport and perhaps what we don't know. So let's start with the mandate, the concussion in parasport group. What are you all about? We emerged in June 2020 as a collection of people, really, that were like-minded, had an interest in the management of concussion in parasport and wanted to do, do something about it to bring about meaningful changes. We have got a website coming soon, all about the concussion in parasport group. We're basically a consortium of specialists um, which promote best practice in assessment, management, education, research 
and knowledge translation on concussion in parasport. So essentially, what we're looking to do is trying to enhance the knowledge, both at a clinician level and at a stakeholder, so coach and athlete level around concussion in parasport. And I suppose hopefully translate the clinical research that's out there on concussion for the benefits of the para-athlete globally. Concussion in Parasport Group has clinicians, researchers, athletes um, that are all involved in parasport. And collectively, I think we all felt that the current SCAT 5, so Sport Concussion Assessment Tool 5, gives really good guidance for the mainstream population. But there's quite a few nuances and aspects of that that don't really fit for a para-population. So a really crude example, I suppose, would be for a wheelchair athlete. If you've ever seen wheelchair rugby or wheelchair basketball, you can see some of the impacts that those guys go through. And if one of those athletes was to sustain a concussion, then to assess their tandem gait or standing balance is not going to be something that's necessarily appropriate for them. For a blind athlete, um, when they have to read words off the tool, again, that's not going to be something they're able to do because they can't see. And that's just a start. I mean, we really want to try and engage with both the clinicians and the athlete cohorts to get the message out there about how we can hopefully better manage concussion in our population. That's fantastic, Oz. And I think it, it really speaks to the need and identifying that, you know, concussion in sport is relevant for all athletes. And the, you know, it, it doesn't matter what sport you're playing or whether it's para sport, whether it's not para sport, concussion is is a serious issue and, and there's a massive gap there. Hopefully this is just the start of a bigger journey. I mean, one of the indirect benefits, I suppose, that's come around is that the main concussion sport group got in contact with us after we've made our um, position statement public and they've taken two of our members from the concussion and parasport group onto their main board. So it's really good to be able to engage with them and hopefully moving forwards ahead of Amsterdam 2022 for the next concussion sport group meeting, we'll be able to provide more context to the para-athlete and um, hopefully build into some of the different studies that are going to come out out of that as well and the main consensus statement from that as well hopefully that's fantastic Oz coming back to what we do know about concussion in para-athletes I mean we know that para-athletes get concussed too so the IPC papers that have come out of the previous Paralympic Games has shown quite a high incidence of concussion amongst the different athlete groups there and I can I'll bet my house on the fact that the Tokyo paper when that comes out next year or the year after would also show a similar pattern in terms of concussion incidents in para-athletes we know that the signs and symptoms are the same. So an athlete with a concussion, uh, sorry, a para-athlete with a concussion will still report headaches, dizziness, those sort of um, symptoms. But also the thing to remember is that some of these signs and symptoms might be their baseline. So an athlete with cerebral palsy may have pre-existing balance issues. An athlete with visual impairment may have blurred vision. An athlete with a learning disability may have difficulty remembering. A few years ago, I was lucky enough to be part of a study within the English FA where we looked at baseline variances of the SCAT 3 or the England teams across the board. So it was women's, men's and the para squads as well. And again, we saw stark differences in the baselines in the SCAT 3 between elite para footballers and elite non-para footballers or mainstream footballers. So again, we know there's differences there. And probably from a personal clinical perspective, having been lucky enough to work in para sport as a clinician for the best part of 18 years now, concussion underreporting, which is very, very common in mainstream sport, it's also very, very common in parasport as well. So um, there's still very much a culture of non-disclosure really to coaches and peers. Athletes are athletes are athletes, right? Absolutely, yeah. It doesn't matter what form they're in, they, uh, they don't always want to tell you that they've had a concussion. 
Are there particular sports, Oz, where the prevalence or the incidence of concussion is higher than, than say, other sports? I'm thinking particularly of, say, wheelchair basketball, wheelchair rugby. Yeah, absolutely. So a lot of the team sports, unsurprisingly, that have got contact involved anyway um, in the mainstream versions of the game have got higher incidences of concussion as well. Probably the one sport that has got the highest incidence and that has had over several Paralympic Games is football five-a-side or blind football. Now, unsurprisingly, if you take eight non-sighted individuals, put blindfolds on them to make sure they really can't see, give them a football and then encourage them to run around in a confined space, they are going to get concussed. I mean, we can talk about injury prevention as much as we want, but equally, that is an inherent risk of the game that they are going to run into each other when they're in a small space. What is it that we're missing about understanding concussion in para-sport? Uh, lots, basically. I'm not really sure where to start. Um, there's so many holes that we're looking to plug with research in the coming years. And one of the things that I like and also find quite difficult working in Paris sport is that the evidence base that we should all be using as clinicians to back up our um, practice on a regular basis, it may be there for lots of elements of mainstream sport, but in Paris sport, there's huge gaps there. And hopefully that's um, something we can try to address through the concussion in Paris sport group. From a basic level, the coach, athlete and medical professional perception of concussion in parasport is something we don't know much about. Anecdotally, within the concussion in parasport group, we've shared stories about what our athletes have said and what coaches have done and um, how we feel as clinicians when we managed it. But in terms of actual in-depth qualitative analysis, there's not been too much that's been done on that. Now, I'm happy to say that through the concussion in sport group, we've got three different studies that are underway at the moment, two of them Delphi studies. Um, so hopefully that'll be a start to help our understanding and then we can move into other forms of investigation following that. I suppose management strategies in the para population aren't well known. Thinking about mainstream concussion, vestibular rehab that a lot of physiotherapists may be involved with. We know that's got a place in terms of concussion management for long-term post-concussive syndrome. Again, in the para population, that's not well known at all. We do know there's some athlete groups where it probably wouldn't be as viable. So thinking about maybe Down syndrome athletes or individuals with spinal cord injury where cervical spine mobilizations would not be anywhere near as appropriate as they would in somebody that didn't have any problems with their C-spine. So again, management is a key thing that we don't know as much about that we'd like to. Um, and hopefully in future years, we can address that gap. And um, I think probably remiss of me not to mention about the long-term effects of concussion and head injury. That's a huge thing for anybody working in any sort of contact sport at the moment. And um, we don't know the long-term effects of repeated head trauma of athletes in our population at the moment. Um, what we do know is that in some sports, we do have athletes that already have pre-existing brain damage. So um, I'm heavily involved in cerebral palsy football and our athletes have all entered the game because they've either had a stroke, a traumatic brain injury or born with congenital cerebral palsy. Heading is a part of that game at the moment. We don't know the effect of it. We don't know, don't have any long-term data. So there are a variety of steps that we can put into place to help that and to protect our athletes. But we don't have the long-term data at the moment. It sounds like there's a lot of places for research to fill some gaps. And as always in our clinical environment, blending research with clinical practice with athlete experience and, and coach experience as well sounds like it's critical. Can we summarise what are the key messages that you would like to share with the community from the Concussion in Paris Sport Group, the key messages for diagnosing and managing concussion in Paris sport athletes? Okay, so as someone that's very passionate about concussion management, I'm going to start off with the three fabled words of recognise and remove. Um, so this is key to any form of concussion management in any form of sport. So really want to start with that for everybody listening because it's so important. One of our main recommendations really was that the SCAT 5, which obviously is going to be 
tweaked in 2022 is still the cornerstone for management of concussion in para-athletes. We know that a lot of the aspects of that are very, very relevant, very appropriate, and very usable for our athletes. But just as it wouldn't be be-all and end-all for a diagnosis of concussion in mainstream sport, it's also not a standalone tool. You also need to use your clinical judgment along with the data that you collect from the SCAT-5 when looking at a para-athlete with suspected concussion. Baseline screening, which I touched upon before, before, is as critical or arguably even more critical, I think, in our para-athletes. So knowing what your athlete could do before their concussion is pretty essential if you're going to be able to judge any impact of concussion on their function and their impairment. And I think allied to that, really, knowing your players is important because a lot of the signs and symptoms of concussion pretty subtle so I always go back to this anecdote of a player that I worked with a few years ago and by his own admission he wasn't the most cheerful soul and after his concussion he was happy as anything he was cheery he was bubbly he was on top of the world so if I didn't know him that wouldn't have been a thing for me but myself and the coach staff and the players we all picked up on that we thought crikey what's happened to him he's um, he's very different so again if you haven't got that knowledge of the player it's difficult and I think in para sport and in para athletes that's even more important Obviously, one downside, I suppose, in parasport is that the finance isn't always as good. So a lot of the time, teams aren't as well supported um, at an international level and certainly not at a grassroots level. Um, so there may not be that clinical support or even consistency with clinical support. In terms of other big recommendations that we came out with, our position statement came with a whole big, heavy, chunky set of appendices, um, which I'll direct any listeners to. And in each of these appendices for different para-athlete cohorts, we used a traffic light system with green being follow the instruction as per SCAT, yellow highlighting potential additional considerations for these athletes. So, for example, an athlete with learning disability may not be expected to score as well on Maddox questions, depending on their degree of intellectual impairment. And then finally, with the red ones, they were areas of the SCAT 5 that we thought were just not really going to work. So, for example, an athlete that's had both of their eyes removed and may have two um, artificial eyes you're not really going to be able to assess double vision in that individual as um, examples of where we wanted to provide some guidance and recommendations to clinicians. Um, in terms of actual management and return to play and all those sort of things, completely aligned with existing principles. So recognize and remove, as I've already said, having an initial rest period to allow symptoms to settle, a graded increase in activity. And again, the importance of return to school and return to work prior to return to sport was something that we were very much aligned to as well with a graded return to activity following that. Uh, we did also say quite clearly that we thought a period of time longer than the 24 to 48-hour window recommended by the concussion sport group would be advocated in terms of prior to return to play for our athletes. We didn't want to specify this. We didn't want to put a label on it in terms of how long it should be, just because of the unique nature of all the different athletes that we work with. Full clearance from a doctor prior to return to sport and also education. That's something that we as a group really want to hit home hard, both with our athletes, with clinicians, coaches, with parents, with everybody involved in parasport, really. We really want to get the key core principles of concussion management up to speed. A lot of these points are resonating and sounding really similar to what we know from concussion in mainstream sport. So there's a lot, I think, that we can take from the original concussion in sport guidelines and then it's about tailoring based on your knowledge and experience of the sport and the athletes that you're working with. I think what really resonated with me, Oz, was just how important it is to understand the athlete and their pre-concussion baseline so that you've got a really good sense of what to, what you would expect. 
Absolutely. And hopefully if you've had enough exposure with the individuals and been working with the squad long enough, you, you'll know their personalities inside out. I mean, I've been lucky enough to be associated with the same squad since 2007. So I know a lot of the boys there really well. And certainly being with the squad and the squad environment, being at training camps, traveling to tournaments, you, you do get to know everybody. And um, yeah, hopefully that'll be a, a big advantage when it comes to concussion detection. Absolutely. Now, let's move a little bit to talking about the role of the clinician and kind of how people can get involved in parasport and what advice would you share with somebody listening today who's thinking that working in parasport is for them or might be for them or they're interested to find out more how how can one get involved in parasport as a clinician i would strongly advocate anybody listening to this that's got a slight interest in parasport to see if they can get involved it's it's so I don't want to say the word rewarding because that comes across really patronising. And certainly when you speak to a lot of the athletes, that's the last thing they want to be spoken about. I mean, I've, I've been with players and public have come up to them and said, oh, you're so brave doing what you do and all these sort of things. And players don't want to hear that. They don't want to be brave. They just want to play sport with their friends and be like a normal athlete. But I think if you're thinking about getting involved, I think one of the things for me is that I like it because it stretches me clinically a bit. I mean, it makes you think a bit differently about the cohort that you see because they're not the same as an able-bodied athlete. And certainly the area of my primary expertise is in cerebral palsy football. So just thinking about normal sort of physiotherapy principles in terms of alignment and posture and gait symmetry and all those sort of things. I'm working with people that have really not got, that the baseline is, is so far removed from normal that we're not looking to restore those sort of patterns. Um, you're looking to maintain function and enhance performance around their impairments, not remove their impairments so yeah i think from a clinical perspective it's it's really good and really challenging to work in i think probably it's an exciting time to be involved in parasport i think certainly in the uk and, and globally i think there's more focus on it better infrastructure to work in parasport so from a employment perspective there's more jobs available in there but also more pathways to be involved as well with more support for teams so on a personal kind of woody level i suppose i made friends for life with colleagues and coaches and players and I think some of the um, partnerships you build up through the process of being involved in parasport is, um, is one of the main attractions for him and there's no egos I've, I've, all the people that you speak to in parasport will say the same story I mean you don't get involved in parasport for the ego yes you might get a tracksuit which is nice and everybody working in sport likes a tracksuit but in terms of the actual glory and prestige and all the rest of it, it it's quite a humble facet of sport to be involved in so that for me is probably another um, selling point really to work in parasport I'm lucky that as well as being a clinician I've had a couple of extended roles to sports federations and through that I've been able to help them shape temporary concussion substitution policies that have had an impact on the players and on the games in that regard um, so I've worked with other people to do that and having a smaller federation that I suppose is maybe a bit more nimble to navigate around been able to use your clinical expertise and knowledge to bring around a change that affects a large number of athletes to hopefully prevent their, to protect their welfare and prevent them being harmed as well. It's fun. <laughs> so working in parasport is a great place to be. I mean, generally, if you have an interest in sport anyway. Fun is really important. I think that's why, what a lot of people, what draws a lot of people to work in sport generally. I think a lot of what you're, all of what you're saying here is really resonating. Um, and it's what I hear from folks who work in team sport at all levels, in all different types of sports all across the world. So, and definitely the fun part is important. Now we're talking about the team clinician role a lot, Oz, but there's also some other roles for folks who have got 
rehabilitation as a background to work in parasport. So what are some of the other roles that that people might consider or that where you would like to see folks with a, a rehabilitation background move into in parasport? I think I'm going to start with classification, Claire. Classification is a huge sport, a huge area of parasport. It's a key thing that pretty much every form of parasport has to adhere to, abide by, follow some sort of rules or regulation. And certainly having a clinical background through being a physiotherapist or another healthcare professional will put you in a really good position to be able to help with that. Um, some roles in classification are obviously... Just for folks who are unsure about classification, can you give us the kind of 60-second breakdown of what classification is, what classifiers do? Absolutely. So obviously classification varies from sport to sport depending on um, the nature of the para-athletes that are involved in the sport. But essentially, it's a way of standardising and making as homogenous as possible the athlete population that are involved in a specific sport in swimming there's lots of different categories and lots of different classifications but what they try and do is make sure that the athletes are paired together competing against each other are as equal as possible with regards to the impairments that they have sometimes this is done through a points-based system so some team sports allocate a certain point to each level of impairment and each team must have a certain number of points in order to participate it can be um, non-points based and also there's other specific areas of classification so for example thinking about deaf athletes audiology is a key component of that so that'll be something that's done by an experienced professional in that regard for visual impaired athletes that'll be ophthalmology based so there's going to be some areas that are outside of the zone of physiotherapists and physical healthcare providers but equally there's lots of other areas from a classification angle that we can get involved in certainly one of the most stressful areas of the sport, but it's really interesting. And I think aside from classification, there's lots of other roles that you can play within parasport as a non-clinician. So when I was living in New Zealand, because there was no para football out there, I got involved with my local boccia club. So I volunteered um, with Dunedin Boccia Club and um, really enjoyed my Wednesdays in Northeast Valley in Dunedin. And I worked as a ramp assistant with Pink Dijstra, who was... I think he went to he definitely went to Beijing and I think he might have been to London as well. And he he was really good. So as a ramp assistant, you help angulate the ramp and move the ramp for individuals that aren't able to physically move the ramp themselves. So it was great fun working with Hank and really, really enjoyed that. I think as well, if you're interested in para sport, refereeing is probably another good route to get into. A lot of the time, if you've got an interest in a sport anyway and you know some of the rules around it, they're always looking for individuals that are keen and motivated and and would want to get involved in that. And again, depending on the level that you get to, this might be something that means that you get flown out to Paris 2024 or Los Angeles 2028 because referees are needed at these events. So who knows where that might take you if you get involved in refereeing. I think in terms of just volunteering, just to get work experience and shadowing, I think for anybody that's looking to get into sports physiotherapy, either at an undergraduate level or even those newly qualified individuals amongst us, I think it's probably maybe a bit more accessible to get first-hand shadowing experiences working in parasport than it would be in mainstream elite sport as well. So yeah, that's something else to um, consider, I think, as well. So many amazing opportunities, Oz. Thanks for bringing that rich tapestry of parasport and kind of highlighting what you know what diversity is there and clearly there is so much going on in the parasport world there's so much that 
the athletes bring to this community and there's so much that clinicians can bring to this community with their clinical experience and research experience as well. And we look forward to more research. We look forward to more work from the Concussion in Paris Sport Group. And I want to say a big thanks for sharing all of this information and resources and knowledge with the JOSPT Insights community today. Thank you so much, Oz. No problem at all, guys. Thanks very much for having me. listening to this episode of JOSPT Insights. For more discussion of the issues in musculoskeletal rehabilitation that are relevant to your practice, subscribe to JOSPT Insights on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn, Stitcher, Google, or your favorite podcast app. If you like JOSPT Insights, help others find us. Tell your friends and colleagues and rate and review us. To keep up to date with all the latest JOSPT content, be sure to follow us on Twitter, we're at JOSPT, and Facebook, we're JOSPT Official. Talk with you next time.